0: we the people are the ones who create and perform and write and direct the scenes of our lives
1: hi this is the bring a brick podcast interviewing professionals from around the world who use improvisation in their work and in their life i'm your host john cooper My guest today is Kathy Sailit. Kathy is a CEO of Performance of a Lifetime, a company based in New York with clients all over the world. Kathy has delivered hundreds of keynote speeches on how using performance in everyday life can help growth and productivity, and is author of Performance Breakthrough, a radical approach to success at work. Hello, Kathy. Thank you for coming on the show. Hello, John. Thank you so much for having me. And t- Tell me a bit about Performance of a Lifetime.
0: So it's a performance of a lifetime. we affectionately refer to it as POWL. Uh, um is founded in about 20 years ago in okay. New York City, and we are a training and consulting firm that works with leaders and with teams and entire companies on what might be considered the um, the human side of their business strategy. Yes. And we use um, a pretty unusual blend of performance, theatre, improvisation, and uh, breakthroughs in science of human development, particularly an area called performative psychology.
1: So this is a mixture of performance and science? Yes, yes. I- I'm always interested in how people bring... The performance side and the technical, because obviously you're, you're you're working with people, and it's the human side of that. So how does how does the psychology side of that feed in? Is that more about, say, the metrics of evidence after the fact, or is it just about the approach that you take to do it?
0: Uh, yeah, it is really more about the approach that we take to do it, and so uh, the the ideas that that are. Uh, sort of at the root of performative psychology is that, A, all human beings have a natural innate bil- ability to perform, to create, to imagine. It's what we did and do as kids, uh, and it's what enables children to experience sig- very significant transformation uh, and growth. Uh, for example, going from being non-speakers to being speakers, and the whole idea is that through – through play, through performance and which is all a social interaction, it's yeah. all a social construct. We are able to be not just who we are, but who we are and who we are not yet, who we yes. are becoming. And so, and so performative psychology is about the if you will, the the science of becoming, the art <laughs> of becoming and uh improvisation and performance are just wonderful catalysts. Again, we do it naturally when we're children. And then when we get older, we've got to be reminded and supported to tap into that natural ability so that we can keep experimenting, keep exploring, keep growing, keep growing, and do things before we know how. Uh, and so I would say that that that's really what our work is about. and uh, and we're both pioneers in this work. Uh, as well as students of of the work <laughs> yes we've, we've a lot of a lot of back and forth in terms of the development of this field
1: yeah what was it someone said to us in a previous show we 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 lear- we teach what we need to learn most yes I um,
0: <laughs> love that
1: yeah which was really it's kind of wow yeah exactly describing your your thing there where you say uh, everyone has it in them to perform I was looking at that on your uh, on the website, and it reminded me. And it might sound tangential. There is uh, an, a comic, regardless, he's dead now, called Will, Will Eisner, who was a, one of the one of the very formative people to work in sequential art. And and he had this illustration. It was very brief. It was a it was a caveman running from a tiger. And the caveman runs from the tiger, and then eventually he manages to to outrun the tiger, and the tiger falls off the cliff. The caveman looks at the tiger, blows a massive raspberry, and, and sticks his fingers against the side of his head and waggles them and this is the beginnings of art as if it's kind of like this is the caveman going this is not part of the survival technique as if he wanted to put, add a flourish it might be relevant it might not be but it's it's kind of like that. I love it I yeah. love it <laughs> so <laughs> what, what does what does an average week um in your life look like in terms of your workload and what it is you have to do
0: you know I love that question uh I don't get asked that a lot so I was like oh what what is an average week so because
1: <laughs> i (laughs) (laughs) You know, and if you work in performance and improvisation, there is no such thing as an average week I would get. I know, I I know.
0: But I was like, okay, let me look at last week and just sort of see what I did. And yeah, so let's see. So I, there were a number of proposals, business proposals that, that we were working on and I was involved in. Yeah. I did a conference call with a close colleague and friend of mine who had just gotten back from a conference in Cuba, uh, who is, she is a, a, um, both a practitioner of improvisation, but also a scholar in the role of performance and play in early childhood development. Okay. And so she's presenting uh, in Cuba at a pedagogy conference. So wow. we were hearing about that um, we, uh, I did an actual pitch uh, which we won the work uh, for uh, a very high end architectural firm. Um, and that was, that was a sort of an unusual thing in the sense that uh it, actually, it, it wasn't clear whether it was a pitch or whether it was a design meeting. It was sort of okay. uh, said to be a design meeting, but I think I was doing a final sale on it. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that was that was really interesting. I have a I have a uh, a blog series that I've started called Choose to Grow. Okay, and and I'm in, I'm I'm in conversation with thought leaders and influencers and people not in not in our field, John, but uh, in in other fields. And I'm in a conversation with them where I ask them to send a story to share with their and my readers about when was an, when was a moment when they or a situation when they really made a choice to grow and how did that go? Yes. Choose to grow, by the way, is is one of the chapters and one of the fundamentals that I talk about in my book about so what does it mean to to live a life where you're being. And becoming at the same time. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, so I was reading some of those stories and starting to work on responding. I led a workshop, uh, which is unusual. I led a public workshop, which I don't do that much of, but uh, called The Art of Listening at a jazz museum out in Stony Brook, uh, which is a little bit of a sleepy community out in Long Island, about an hour and a half outside of New York. And that was a very new kind of thing for those people. And it was fun to do. I sang that night. Uh, wow. uh, I'm a singer, and I performed with a jazz trio, okay. um, and that was that was really fun. I, I did two interviews, including one which was a really interesting interview with a guy who is interviewing a number of thought leaders and and also just like CEOs, and the, the topic being leading into the unknown. And um, we had a we had a really fun conversation, and then uh, then. I'll say one more thing, which is that one of the projects that I've been involved uh, in for a very, very long time is with an organization called the All Stars Project, which is a, uh, a nonprofit here in the United States yeah. that uses performance and improvisation to support the development of uh, inner city kids, okay. inner city and we, they, we, and they have been working on a program now for a number of years called Operation Conversation: Cops and Kids.
1: Okay, and
0: this is bringing together police officers and uh, teenagers, uh, mm-hmm. mainly you know, black and Latino poor kids from the community. Yeah. And this is a very, as you probably know, this is a bit of a, you know, estranged relationship. Um, There's a lot of fear, a lot of unknown. There's a lot of, you know, dislike. And we have been, along with the All-Stars, have been running a program that brings together police officers and these young people. And it's a mix of improvisation. The, like really silly, silly theater games.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And structured dialogue. Okay. Um, and it's now become an official part of the NYP, the New York Police Department um, orientation training wow. uh, a couple of years. So it's one of my favorite, you know, programs to be involved in and yes. one that I think really such a beacon and a guide for us in the kind of impact that improvisation and performance and play can help help with in terms of helping people to talk to each other yes to
1: absolutely yeah
0: or in a in a playful and friendly but nonetheless serious way Their differences and to create a new kind of conversation together
1: yes where the stakes can be kind of lowered to a degree where it's comfortable for both parties to to actually engage so to speak
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah, actually that's an interesting way to put it, John. It's the stakes are lowered in a very high stakes situation. Yeah. You know. And and the way they're lowered is by in some sense by playing together. Yes. They are they, they. They begin to see. Oh, this is a human being just like me. Like we we laugh at the same silly things. We are embarrassed in the same way. We're <laughs> we're you know we have this ability to to play and pretend and and you start to see you, you're creating. This is where the becoming stuff comes in because mm-hmm. because part of what it means to become who you are not yet is you've got to spend some time literally being who you're not
1: yeah 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 yes
0: you have to say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna break out of my normal role the the, you know the way i normally speak the way i know you know and just like pretend that this is something that i do but of course when you do it you're now doing it you're no longer pretending
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i was gonna say i can't imagine but i can't imagine what it's like to be an NYPD cop apart from watching NYPD Blue on TV all those years ago but obviously you know a a law officer a policeman has to we 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 see what we choose to see and and when you have people in those roles who are trained to see crime you know and, and now they're kind of being asked not to do what their normal job would be I would guess to to think differently and behave differently during the during the course of that project is that is that kind of how that plays out
0: definitely and I will say that that's also the case for the kids you know um, in the sense that you know one of the things that comes up uh, in the course of the conversation which again is sort of intermingled with improv and mm-hmm. theatre games is people are they're all asked to share what's the hardest thing about being a police officer and what's the hardest thing about being a young teenager yes. you know and one of the things that I've, I've heard this now several times that both of them say is, well, we don't know whether we're going to make it home t- at night. Wow. Like we wake up and we're like, we're not sure if we're going to get home that night. We're going to make it. And and then and you can see that, oh, this is a fear that we both have. Um, and that that's makes it possible for a little bit of a softening on on all sides and yeah. like well well why is that what how is that and i will say that uh one of the things that that i have learned and seen uh, you know about police officers that i feel like i didn't really know when i first started getting involved in the pro- project was to see the extent to which They are put in a situation where basically they're, they're responsible for and have to handle the effects of total, of poverty, Mm -hmm. of hopelessness, of Mm -hmm. there not being opportunity for the young people in the poor communities. And they're like at the first line of like handling all the stuff that, that is, that happens as a result of that. Do you know what I mean? But like they're not responsible for that. (laughs) That's not their fault. And so they're given a pretty impossible job you know and the kids of course are the victims of that and mm-hmm. so they they you know they're trapped but they're both trapped in a certain way and um this this work play and 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 saying let's do a different performance together just really makes it possible for them to see and hear in some new ways
1: yeah that's fascinating to hear to hear that and and the way that that would play out i mean i can only imagine how that is on both parties, but to, to find that common ground between the two, saying mm-hmm. things like you're saying, you know, we, we don't know if we'll get home tonight. I can, yeah, that's, that's stunning. And that really is the, yes, that can only come out through those, w- w- wouldn't normally come out in any other way. I would, I would imagine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: That, that's fascinating. So let's just dip back down your your own timeline a little bit. Um, you, you're, you're a CEO. Well, one thing that you one thing that you previously mentioned is that you don't actually go out and do... How much kind of time do you do taking workshops? Obviously, you're the CEO. Do you spend more time closing and pitching?
0: Oh, uh, the reason I said that is that I don't do public workshops that I much. I mainly do work you know, me and members of my team, we do work inside organizations. Um, so we'll get brought in and I'll like work with an intact executive team, um, over the course of either two to three days or six to nine months, depending mm-hmm. on what it is that we've been brought in to do. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, work with a grouping of high potential leaders or middle managers middle managers. And so, it's it's a lot. Of, it's like inside organization. I do speak publicly. I do. I am on yes. the road, especially since my book came out. But doing an actual like workshop where individuals can sign up uh, is just you know it's just an unusual thing to do. And I actually really like it because um, well, I like doing workshops first of all. But yeah. I also I like a situation where no one is telling me what the Outcomes of the workshop need to be. The, right. It's often the case that there's a dance between what our clients are asking for and we're yeah. very, very good at giving that to them. And yes. I'm the believer of there being a much more open, it. I mean, this work is so powerful that to mm-hmm. sort of, you know, reduce it to key, three key takeaways as being the things that you're going to learn and or to try to direct you know, what it is that people are supposed to, what are the quote ahas that you're supposed to have? Yes. Um, that's helpful. Yes. Um, and I believe, and this to me is at the core of improvisation, is that you don't know all that, that it is that the impact is going to be. <laughs> you no. gotta let that sort of, you know, simmer and you gotta, you wanna sit with that and you wanna feel that and you wanna be confused. Um, I think that that's an important part of what it means to grow and to learn and not make everything. And this is what this means. So when I do, so that's partly why I like these workshops, because Mm. we, in a way, it's not unlike this conversation in that we go off on all kinds of tangents, because that's where the group goes.
1: Yeah, the way you put it there, you say, let it simmer. I think that's a really good analogy to use, because it's kind of, you don't necessarily know what the individual people in the room are going to be, so you don't know what their own journeys are, so you don't know what their outcome's going to be. So so then, Cathy Saylid, how did you get here? How did you get to where you are? When did, did you start out as a performer? You mentioned you were a singer. What was your route into performance?
0: I was singing very early, you know, as a, as a child. I was blessed, I guess, with a good voice and being a ham and a family that was constantly, you know, putting me in front of neighbors to perform. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I, you know, I was perfectly happy to do it.
1: So. <laughs> Wonderful.
0: <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, and then I became a professional singer, I guess, in my late teens, early 20s, and um, and had done some theater work, but uh, it, it was very sort of random. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't in any sort of organized form. And then, um, let me also just say that I think that this doesn't specifically relate to performance per se, but okay. you may have read this, but so I dropped out of school when I was 13 years old and, um, I, because I hated it, uh, and, uh, i started, uh, I started a high school with a sort of a motley crew of students oh, and wow. innovative educators and, and supportive parents and community activists. And we took over an abandoned storefront in New York city. And, um, the, um, the storefront had been an old dry cleaning store, uh, called Elizabeth cleaners. And, you know, we saved a hundred bucks on a, on a sign and we called ourselves the Elizabeth Cleaners street school. And, (laughs) and, um, we, you know, we designed our own curriculum and classes and hired and fired teachers and figured out the toilet cleaning schedule. And uh, we actually wrote a book that was published by Random House. It was like it's just a horrible book, but, you know, sort of very, very sort of um, enigmatic of like sort of that period. Uh, <laughs> um, and... Um, and i never went back to school i never went back to traditional school so i never got my you know high school diploma or or or, or college degree and so i i i like to say that i've been improvising ever since um okay. because i sort of was somewhere between self-taught and and sought out people who became my mentors and teachers and so in that mix of things um and uh I was really, really interested in, I became very interested in alternative and different modes of education and okay. learning the result. Yep. And, and being an artist, I did end up finding an amazing grouping of people who were really, I think at the cutting edge of bringing together and looking at the, the sort of cross disciplinary values of value of art of science of education of Mm -hmm. psychology and so on and so forth and um and hooked up with some theater people who were doing some really interesting work and out of that in the early 90s uh one of the members of our sort of our collective um was a wonderful uh african-american uh theater artist and she just had started to do some improv work, okay. and so she asked us. She she formed an improv troupe and asked, invited me to join. And I remember at the time that there were several people who who were like very disgruntled about me being part of the group. They were like, "She's not funny, you know. She's like, why why are we bringing her in? She's got you know no sense of humor." And you know, I didn't okay. know about this. knew about this later. You know, but at the time, I was like, and she was like an Emmy. Her name was Emmy Gay. And she said, "No, no, no, no. I think I think we can, you know, we can um, pop that cork, so to speak."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, okay. and then and lo and behold, I discovered slash created being a funny person. And so um, the troupe was called Emmy Gay and the Gaygles. Okay. And um, so I was a Gaygle um, and a proud Gaygle, and uh, and I pretty much. Um, Actually, up until just a couple of years ago, I've been in improv troupes since the early '90s, oh, wow. and was lucky enough to also, because I was part, I, I was, I'm, I was, and remain part of a sort of a, um, an, an off-Broadway experimental theater called the Castillo Theater, okay, uh, in in New York City on Forty Second Street, and so I've always had a theatrical home and um, have had the chance to play and perform, you know, because of that.
1: Okay. You, you refer to yourself as as an artist and that's a fascinating story you tell about the Elizabeth Cleaner, the Elizabeth Cleaner Street School. Um, is, is that not setting up a business to a degree? Are you Ooh. Where do you sit on the spectrum of artist versus business? Because obviously you're a CEO now, but that sounds like a very enterprising thing to do it at such an early time. time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, I, I consider myself a social entrepreneur um, and for me there's always been a very close relationship between uh, speaking of bring a brick of building um, you know, building with others, yes. uh, you know, new, new form forms, <laughs> new forms to, to quote Ludwig Wittgenstein, new forms of life, new, new ways of coming together. And so, for me, that is both a very artistic and improvisational activity, mm-hmm. and it's an entrepreneurial activity. Um, you know, Performance of a Lifetime, Powell started, I just re- remembered that you asked me how it started, and I was like, I'm like, talk about tangents. Um, <laughs> uh, we started in the mid-90s. <clears throat> I was one of the co-founders, uh, and it was co-founded by myself, uh, David Nackman, who is still with us, and the... Just brilliant actor and director. And then, uh, the late Fred Newman, uh, who was a philosopher, a theater director, and a psychotherapist, and uh, you're, are basically our resident genius. Um, and a lot of the work that we do builds on his ideas, which bring together, you know, art and theater, performance and psychology, alternative, you know, ideas in psychology. Uh, but we started as a, as a quote, school. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like that other school was a, quote,
1: school. (laughs) Right, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: I mean, we called it a school, John. (laughs) Right, right, I get it, yeah. (laughs) What can I say? I mean, (laughs) it doesn't look that, I mean, it was and it wasn't, right? I'm with you, I'm with uh, you. But we started it, uh, Performance of a Lifetime, as a, a, quote, school, uh, that we, our tagline was, performance for the rest of us. Okay, Meaning that to bring the joy, to bring the the creativity and this experimentation of performance to people who were not looking to become the next, you know, star or, you know, Tina Fey, This is actually pre-Tina Fey, but so it, it was designed specifically for people who were not. Either already professional performers or seeking a career in the performing arts, but oh, rather just as a way to support them in their lives and in whatever they wanted to do. And we, um, we designed a program, a sort of a workshop that we built the school around, which is where we get our name, uh, which was, uh, began with a grouping of, you know, people, strangers, uh, mm-hmm. getting together and in the first workshop, it was a four-session workshop, four-session program.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, getting up on stage and performing their life in one minute.
1: Wow, that's that's a fascinating idea for an exercise. Just to perform. Yeah. Your entire, yeah. Wow. Cool.
0: Yeah, and then so they perform their lives in one minute, and the only the only uh, restriction that we gave people was well that it had to be within a minute, but also. It needed to be a performance, so an explicit performance, meaning mm-hmm. it had to be a song, or a dance, or a mime, or the, you know, acting out a scene. So, you know, if, it, I, it wouldn't be like, hi, my name is Kathy Saylot, I grew up in New York City, but, you know, it had to be, my name is Kathy Rose, you know, like, like it'd be an opera okay. or whatever, you know. Um, and then after they did their one minute, and we did a lot of work with the audience to, create an environment in which people felt supported. Um, yeah. So like, like the whole the the performance of an audience is very important. So a lot of applause, a lot of, even though you're sitting there, you know, thinking, Oh shit, what am I going to do? You you know what I mean? Even while you're worried, you still have to give and support and make your partner look good. Another important rule in improv. Um, and then after their one-minute performance, then we would give them some theatrical direction okay. that was inspired by what we saw. And and that in itself is was part of the improvisation. It wasn't like a correction. It wasn't a resolution. It wasn't like a critique. It was just whatever it was that we were inspired by. You know, by, and then we gave them some theatrical direction to do a sequel, and then we would put professional improvisers into the sequel with them.
1: I see. I see. Uh, and
0: then all of that beautiful material that gets produced got produced in that first day was the was the raw material for a a semi-scripted, semi-improvised play that they would put on in four weeks in front of an audience.
1: That's. I love the way you frame uh, your feedback as theatrical direction um, yeah. because obviously you're talking to the person based on what they've done mm-hmm. and they can have a lot going on in their head at that point about what on earth am I doing and why am I doing this Yes. Um, and, and, and when you frame it like that I'm guessing you're then moving away from the personal even though I suppose it is feedback on the person and the individual but as as you're framing it as theatrical feedback then that is a really soft way of coming forward with any feedback you may have for the individual is that right
0: yeah i think it is although i might it's a slight slightly different frame which is and and maybe i don't know what you mean by feedback uh but it's it's so for example one of the things that will like there might be like literally like a movement that they do like we know like here they are they're doing a scene about you know what it was like you know a, a scene growing up You know, when they were kids and and handling, you know, maybe it was, you know, a heavy thing or maybe it was a light thing and sort of like the craziness of their family or whatever, Mm. you know, whatever. Mm. And maybe and maybe one of the things that they kept on saying, I'm I'm trying to remember this, what this exact line was that somebody because I did this the other day with somebody with a group um, and and they were saying, well, what about it? And like that was a that that somebody, that was the term. What about it? They kept on saying what about it. But that was not like an that was not like a major part of the scene or the yeah. performance. It just happened yeah. to be that that phrase kept on being used. So then, the sequel, the direction was that this person became a talk show host of the very popular show called What About It.
1: Uh, I see. Okay. And then
0: we had different improvise you know, we brought in improvisers and then and and they and the main question that they asked the guest, no matter what they said, <laughs> was, what about it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. And,
0: and so it was this hysterical scene, you know, <laughs> where like, you know, one of the improvisers was very defensive, you know, and the other was the, person just like kept on going off on tangents. <laughs> and, and no matter what they said, they only asked what about it. Anyway. So <laughs> I think you might've had to have been there. It was very funny. <laughs> that's,
1: that's No, that's, that's excellent. That's, that's, that's really good to, to to hear how you do how you, how you do the how it's kind of how yes. you do the and how so
0: and you know the i think one of the ways to think about it is that they are sharing their story or an aspect of their short their story they're sharing it by performing it in a way that is that is totally different than what they normally do because mm. usually we just like we sort of have the way we tell our story yes. so by performing it you're already being invited and enabled to sort of break from that script and the way you do it and this this can be controversial for people and then what what we're saying is your story is now ours too and we're we're part of it with you and we're your story is growing your story is unfolding and we're and we're, we're in it with you. And here's, here's one of the places it happens to be going. Uh, and it's a very intimate experience for people. And um, the the way, you know, the business got started was I was actually at a workshop that Fred Newman and David Knackman were doing where they introduced this exercise. And, and uh, I was just blown away. And afterwards, I was like, we have to do something because they were colleagues of mine. they were part of the theater, you know, group that I was part of. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Holy shit, this is amazing! Can we try, can we try to create a business with it?" And so we did. Yeah. And then, long story not so short. After a couple of years of doing this program, which we had like a really loyal following, and you know, but but it was even by New York City standards, it was again early nine. It was the mid '90s, and Nobody was doing this kind of stuff. Like improv hadn't become as big as it was as yes. it is now. Yes. And so we were struggling to pay the rent. And then one day, one of my students came to me and said, "Would you, could you do a version of this program for me and my sales team?" And um, I'll talk about this in my book, but my first response was, "No." All <laughs> <laughs> right. No, this is, like, too weird and too crazy, and I don't go into corporate America, you know? Right, right, <laughs> I yeah. was like, no. And then uh, she was like, well, I'll pay you $1,500. And, you know, we were making, like, $15 for, like, tap dancing classes. I mean, yeah, you, you know, yeah. we were like, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> we can pay the rent, you right. know? All right, let's give it a
1: try. And uh, we never looked back. When was that? Are we still talking mid nineties?
0: Yeah. So that was now. I mean, we formed Performance of a Lifetime uh, ninety six, ninety seven, and then and then probably that was about ninety nine. Uh, and 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 then one of the things that happened was that then the whole dot com, you know, bubble started oh, happening, yes, yes, and so we yes. were able to really sort of, you know, key into that. Uh, and get the business going and 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 learn a lot we also had we also one of, another one of my students um, was ran the um, the the education for medical residents at one of the large hospitals here in New york City okay. and so she ultimately brought us in to to design and run their communications program for okay. all of the medical residents and so we did a lot of work on the doctor-patient relationship and again, using improvisation and role playing and helping people to, to break from their normal scripts, doing a lot of work on, you know, the kind of work that obviously you'd, you, you do when you're improvising on present, on being present, on, on listening, on hearing the offers that are coming from your patients. Yeah. And how do you build with them so that you're, you're always you know, one one of my favorite uh, authors and people is this you probably you might have heard of him, his name is Stephen Nakmanovich. I've
1: he never heard a, that, no. I've stuff. not heard that name.
0: He wrote a book years ago called Free Play. He's got a new book that he's working on. Um, he's a he's a violinist, an improvisational violinist, right. and um, you know, what he talks about is that every conversation is a is a form of jazz. And so I love that idea and, and that's very much, you know I learned, I would say that in some ways I learned that most, uh, initially, like it's in a very powerful way in the work that we were doing in training doctors because mm-hmm. we were helping them break from, in a way, the scientific conversation where, yes. or the, or what's called the medical interview, which is very structured and very limited and, and like, and literally like teaching them how to look up from the page.
1: Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine just just how to engage with, yeah, you know, how, how to be present, and yeah, and how there.
0: to be willing to go else other places. Which you know, at first, the, the the sort of the pushback we got was, well, but I only have ten minutes for the interview, and so then there's the question of, well, how do you how can we use that ten minutes so that yeah. you're you're actually building a relationship, you're actually creating a. Uh, you know, a, a, an ensemble, if you will, a performance yeah. with your with your your collaborator, who is the patient.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah. You know, um, bring them into it and create it with them, co-create it, and and as a result, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a nice story where they had been having like really really low patient satisfaction scores and they okay. were not very unpopular, um, and uh, and. We were credited with totally turning that around because with, within two years they they went from like the lo- one of the lowest um, performing hospitals in that regard to to in the like top ninety percent
1: yeah that's um, that's a fascinating place to bring that practice about in because you know traditionally patient to doctor relationship is there would be a, a layer of distance. between -hmm. between that Mm -hmm. because that's how the doctor would function by not getting involved at a particular level with a patient so that their work doesn't become emotionally difficult to do
0: right right and so then and that's where back to one of your earlier questions about where does psychology fit in this or you know human development yes it's that you know then not just then in a linear sense but then part of what the work is is supporting people to be you know willing to take that kind of risk to sort of like handle the emotionality. I mean, wow, yes, one, of the, yes. one of the things that we've worked a lot with doctors on is uh, what's called the DNR conversation, which is the do not resuscitate, meaning oh, you have wow, to talk okay. to your patient about yeah. whether or not at a certain point, given where they are in their health and when they might, you know, lose consciousness or whatever, do they want to to say yes to a do not a dnr yeah. or do they want to do anything that you can possibly everything you can possibly do to try to keep them alive yeah and it's like a it's doctors have to have that conversation a lot they have to have it with the patient they have to have it with the families yes and you know when you're a young resident or a new you're that's a scary conversation, to, a have terrifying conversation
1: it's terrifying. to have it's yeah, terrifying yeah absolutely
0: so yeah. you know we Created a playground, if you will, for them to practice that and yeah. to prove that and work on their own emotional responses to that yes. and to be able to distinguish between sort of like their own fear around it and like, you know, and, and sort of to be able to go – to be there with the patient or the family when you're having that conversation including risking that you know maybe you'll tear up yeah. maybe you'll that because you've grown to care about this person or you know what i mean so okay.
1: yeah that, that sounds like you're getting into the realms of using and, and correct me if i'm wrong that sounds like you're using improv to nurture and improve levels of emotional intelligence yes yeah,
0: yeah. i mean the, yeah the the um, absolutely. I mean, the only thing that the only um, caveat that I would say is that um, and this is sort of a pet peeve for me, John. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bear with me. But okay. um, I think that it was I think that emotional intelligence and the and the uh, that whole concept is is a, was very, very important when it was introduced because it it made it possible to talk about emotionality yes in the workplace which was yes. had been like totally taboo so mm. to the extent that it did that i feel like you know yay wonderful yeah. Yeah, that's it's validated,
1: it's validated yeah. things a little bit yeah
0: yeah but i think that um and now this is a little bit of the feminist in me okay. to add intelligence to it makes it to me like you know well then it's okay you know then, right. then it's sort of well it's a male thing so it's I totally and get It's that.
1: intelligent, you know I and totally it's like what if that. it's just emotion <laughs> yeah yeah i oh man that, that that makes such a difference just to take the word yeah it's emotional <laughs> intelligence so we can talk about it with right, with right, distance and cerebral kind of exactly but assume, let's that. just talk about emotion it's kind of like oh wow yeah and, and culturally <clears throat> when i when I talk about improv and obviously i interview um uh, i 'm trying to interview people from all over the world and the the very subtle cultural shift between the u k and America in terms of how we address those kind of things that there is a little bit there and and it's kind of i I'm fascinated when i when i try when we try to even in the realms of say performance improv like I do when i 'm with my guys doing stuff when we bring emotion into scenes it's just kind of watching how the body language shifts and changes. You and know, how do you see the
0: distance between UK and US? I'm very interested in that.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I think there's. It's. Improv, as I see it in my own experience, and this is just my opinion, is a lot more developed in in America than it is in the UK, and and I think that's obviously because you have a better, longer, more established history of it. Does that kind of make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm
1: I'm always fascinated about the cultural differences. Something you said earlier on about um the the cops and kids project. There was a guy interviewed, uh, Maureen Visser's, who's in Holland, and he did he did a very similar. Uh, thing where he was doing that and he was doing it in Amsterdam and it's kind of like you're talking about doing it with NYPD cops and he did it in Amsterdam where obviously they have a massive drug culture and and even though you're doing potentially the same or, well it'll be different exercise but even though it's kind of like, oh he's working with cops and kids you're working with cops and kids, I can imagine they're miles apart in terms of culture and the subtle things that are addressed within that, uh, I don't have the answers I'm just trying to kind of cast this wide net and draw parallels to things I love that. Okay, I'm I'm going to just move us on a little bit. Daniel Pink, business analyst, has a brilliant TED talk on the power of motivation and I noticed he'd given you um a review on your on your website where he calls you the sales whisperer. <laughs> Uh, which which i was fascinated (laughs) by and you mentioned earlier on in the interview um you were at the architecture place and you weren't sure if it was kind of a design meeting or whether you were putting a pitch in yes when you are kind of working on your business and the growth of the business and how it works yes Yes. do, do you bring your performance skills with you into the moment for the pitch and the process of getting the work
0: totally totally all the time
1: yeah
0: um yes i mean on the one hand i bring it in and we bring it in because i have a team of people wonderful amazing team of people who both who sell design talk uh ex you know deliver uh, the, you know client relationship are wonderful amazing um The, we all, we very much use performance. One, because as I was saying earlier, we consider everything a performance. We are performers. We're performing all the time. Yeah. Um, Or maybe I didn't say that. I said we were natural performers, but we also believe that we are performing all the time and that to become more deliberate and aware that we are, then we can be more. Choiceful, even though I don't think that's a word about what those performances are, in the same way that actors, you know, and improvisers do, you know, Mm -hmm. where we're we're picking up on the offers that are, uh, you know, in the scene and building with them, saying yes and to them, and building with them, and we're also putting in, you know, um, offers that are different, perhaps than people might expect. So, um, just in thinking about that pitch that I just did uh, one of the things that I decided to do, but I do this, I just sort of do it. Um, but I did whatever. I made a decision to do it at one point was like, rather than they were like, well, could you please explain, you know, how it's going to work. And then I just got up and like, I, I showed them and I started, I actually I was telling them a story about, this is the first one that I did was I, <laughs> um, I was talking about how nearby change is, but that we often feel like it's, it's very, very hard to get to. And it is, right. it is, yeah. but that, yeah. but that one way to think about change is that our, our capacity to change, our ability to change is, is a performance choice. And so then I got up and then I just, I said, so for example, we usually walk, you know, at a certain pace and a certain rhythm, certain speed, but at But we can change that. And then I started doing this slow motion walk across the uh, around the conference table, and you know I could see them out of the corner of my eyes. They're like their jaws dropped, you know, and then the smile started, you know, because like, oh my god, you know, like we have this performer in the room with us, and she seems to be willing to do this thing that is very, very weird.
1: Ah! What? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: and so, and I'll have them do an exercise with me, you know, right then and there as yeah. a way to convey, you know, and, you know, and then here are some of the lessons that we can, you know, help people see as a result. And we, I did a mirroring exercise with somebody. Um, and, and I think that one of the things that's, I'll say a couple things about that. Number one, um, I feel like it's an honest way to, um, talk about the work that we do and to yes. give people a feel for it because yes. it actually goes back to this thing we were just talking about now that I think about it, around emotional intelligence. Like, you know, rather than being like very, very prim and proper and saying, yes, you know, when the learnings that you will get and blah, 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 blah you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. like I will say to them, one of the things that I'm going to do with your people is I'm going to, they're going to have the experience of doing something that feels pretty weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I totally I, see where you're coming from
0: with that. We need weird. We need weird. If you're going to do something new, it feels weird. It feels abnormal. And that's a good thing. And so, yes. so part of what I think I'm trying to, and we're trying to help people see is, you know, it takes, on the one hand, it's very close by. On the other hand, it takes a certain kind, you have to shift out of what you normally do. And, improvisation performance this idea of being who you are and who you're not at the same time um you know requires a combination of a leap of faith and um this and support to do it support and structure to do it so yes i think it's very very important as um you know, applied improvisation, you know, sometimes I use that term, sometimes I don't, but, you know, facilitators, trainers, business people, I think it's important that we not try to turn our work into, it's almost like everything else, it's just a little bit different. No, it's really different. It's really different. That's important. And that's because people need really different
1: yeah I I get that yeah it's interesting listening to how different people do the how in terms of showing showing what it is and you're absolutely right that thing of show me what it is in a way that I understand that fits in with my world not yours you know as opposed to don't break my world down and explain something even though that's that was absolutely what needs to happen right in that moment um,
0: yeah and it's a dance right I mean so yeah. you have, you've got it's to be you know like building on what they're saying and, and taking them a little bit somewhere and yes and I mean, and I think that, you know, I mean, Dan's words are very, very kind. One of my chapters, uh it's something about schmoozing and selling and, you know, and other kinds of salesy networking kinds of things. It's called the art of selling networking and other schmoozy things. And one of the things that, you know, try to give people in in that chapter is both, you know, how do you listen so that you're building with what people are saying? How do you be fearless if you, you, you want to put something in front of them that, you know, is, is, a, is, that you feel passionate about. Yes. But also that it's really more about building a relationship and mm-hmm. don't worry about the sale.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. don't
0: worry about it. It's not, you know, like even if you really need it, mm-hmm. you've got to pretend that you don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, hundreds It's it's really nice to hear someone else say that. It's kind of like that's the kind of thing that I use and I do, and I understand is the right way to do it, and I put it into practice. But it's always nice to hear someone say that back to you. Yeah, um, just to Keep reaffirm. It yeah, yeah. Am I right in thinking that that book is the one that's downloadable from your website? There is a chapter from it. Or the yes, book, that's yes.
0: The ch- yes. Exactly. That's the chapter that's downloadable from the I, website. I yeah.
1: download that earlier on today, and I shall be reading it this evening. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna wrap us up, and I'm gonna ask you a couple of final questions. Uh, Kathy Saylor, what do you get out of the work that you do? What's your main takeaway?
0: Oh my goodness, we're the ones. We, the people, are the ones who create and perform and write and direct the scenes of our lives. There are a lot of performances that we do, both individually and collectively, that are lovely and beautiful, mm. and there's a lot that, that are not so lovely and beautiful, and that we can use performance and theatre and improvisation, taking it off the stage, yeah. bringing it into our everyday life to to change the world, um, whether that's our little corner of the world or the uh, the whole
1: shebang. Wow, that's that's, that's pretty deep. That's brilliant.
0: Yeah, well, um, I, I I felt invited to be deep,
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I do love that. Um, yeah, any opportunity is brilliant. Well, it's a performance. Life is a perform. As you're saying, your life. if your life is a performance, then you should take those opportunities when you're given the stage. Um, yes. Absolutely, yes. you should. Um, did you say you're working on a book at present? Uh, I'm No, I'm not working on it.
0: I'm still talking about my current book. Uh, I see.
1: Sorry, yes, you were talking about your current came book.
0: Out. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's Performance Breakthrough, a Radical Approach to Success at Work. And uh, you can get it, um, I know you can get it at Amazon UK. Yeah, and I would love people to get it and give me and send me notes, see what you think, and follow me on uh, Twitter at Kathy Saylet and Facebook and I LinkedIn put, and all that. I
1: will put all those links on the website when the podcast goes out. There will be lots of show notes and web links linking to your book and to your Twitter. Kathy Saylet, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, John. Really nice talking to you. My pleasure. You take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or the Facebook page. The website bringabrinkpodcast.com has detailed show notes for all the guests with links to them and their work. If you want to contact me, John Cooper, get in touch and I'll do my best to answer your questions or point you in the right direction. There is a Patreon page where you can help fund the production of the show. If you're enjoying what you're listening to and want to become a Patreon, please click on the link on the website homepage. Contributions go towards website hosting, the time it takes to produce the show, it takes ages, and allows me to work on new content that's hopefully valuable, entertaining and informative contributions are based on every new episode released personally i believe that good production values are key to getting more exposure so everything is greatly received just think of it like you buying me a coffee and i'll see you on the next episode